With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Test match double hundred for Darren Bravo. What a superb innings. The team are out of the dugout, out of the hut, and they are standing for a magnificent test match double hundred. Absolutely superb. Well played, Darren Bravo. Before we start episode 31 of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast today, myself, Michelle St. Patrick Hewitt and Santelki would like to take just a minute of your time to talk about a brand new initiative that we're introducing to the Carib Cricket Media platform. Santoki, why don't you tell the crowd about it? Yeah, yeah, guys. So, um, as you know, the Caribbean Cricket Podcast, we've we've been self-funding it for the past uh, year or so since we started doing it. At this point in time, in order to grow the project and help it move along as we provide information regarding West Indies cricket that you all enjoy, we've decided to set up a Patreon account. So if you go to www.patreon.com slash cricket, Michelle, what would they find there? And what you'll find there, like all Patreon accounts, if you're familiar with them, is there are four different membership levels. And um, for those of you who are keen followers of us, you'll know about our spin-off, the Rum Shot Diaries. You'll have four membership levels based on different rums, going from £2, £5, £10 and £20. And if you click on each one, basically you can you can show your support for Carrie Cricket as a media initiative. So if you put down a £2 one, that's just you supporting £5. You're subscribing to regular editions of the Rumshot Diaries, £10. You're getting merch, you're getting Zoom conversations with us. And £20, if there is anybody out there, that's an opportunity to sponsor any of the content that we do produce um, as a medium. Like I say, or like Santolki said even, we're just asking for a bit of support to keep this running. We've we've tried our best to do this self-funded for the last year and we've done really well, or we believe we've done really well with what we've got so far, but we believe that we can take this to an extra step if we reach out to some of you, our followers. So as Santoki says, www.patreon.com slash Cricket. Go and get involved and if you fancy it, be part of the expansion of Caribbean Cricket. And your support is massively appreciated. So guys, thank you very much for listening and enjoy the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 31 of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. I'm your co-host, Michelle St. Patrick Hewitt. And with me as ever, my partner in crime, Santolki. Santolki, you there? 
Yep, yep, I'm doing good, Michelle. Thanks very much. We've had a bumper few days of West Indian cricket with the T20i series recently finishing and the warm-up games taking place. But now, for me personally, we've reached the main event of the tour, the two-test series versus New Zealand. So I'm really excited to introduce our next guest, who is about 24 hours away from lining up in that first test against New Zealand. So, Mash, do you want to let the people know who we've got? Yes, let me do the big, big intro. Um, so today... <laughs> Today, we've got, um, <laughs> I want to say this is my opinion. So if anyone disagrees, I'm saying this for myself. Today, we've got the best batsman in the West Indies team, which is, of course, Darren Bravo, the returning Darren Bravo. Um, back in West Indian colours again, the, the, the region is rejoicing and we've got him on the podcast today. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just excited to have Darren on. Darren, though. You there? You there, Darren? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Excellent stuff, Darren. Like you say, it's a true honour and pleasure um, to have you on. You're um, without trying to sound like some massive fan. I am a massive fan of yours. <laughs> no, this isn't just about doing a podcast. It's actually brilliant to have you on today. Um, but we know your time is limited, and obviously you need to get you need to get uh, your game face on because we're what nearly twenty four hours away from the test match kicking off. Um, against New Zealand. So we're going to get straight into it. And Santoki, I'm going to hand over straight to you. Yeah, yeah. So let's get into it. So um, Darren, as, as has been publicised a lot in the media, your average away from home is currently 50. Um, your highest test score, 218, was in New Zealand in 2013. And you scored 135 and 93 in the warm-up matches in Queenstown. At this point, would it be fair to say you're confident heading into the first test? Yeah, I'm quite confident going into the first game. I'm hopefully selected and all goes according to plan. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the start of the series. As you rightly said, it's 24 hours away. Um, I think I've put in enough work. Obviously, there's always room for improvement. But having said that, I'm quietly confident that I'm going to do well. Mm. You've played 54 tests for the West Indies now. And obviously, in a series against England... Um, there were a lot of the the batting wasn't the strongest. Um, as a senior player coming back into the side, do you feel there's a lot of pressure on your shoulders now? Um, I wouldn't say pressure, but having said that, uh, my role and responsibility remain the same. Um, to try my best to set a foundation, more so for the entire batting unit. Um, having said that, it's always my goal and responsibility. It's always my intention to do that, but. At times, it doesn't really happen, and that is part and parcel of the game. Um, you don't always perform to the best of your ability each and every time. But, yeah, I'm quietly confident. I understand my game a lot more this time around, and I'm looking forward to the challenge. Yeah, so, I mean, Darren, it's, just, it's, a, it's a return to, to, to the Maroon. I mean, actually, let's go back a bit. You were obviously recalled back to the Maroon um last year when you came back for the India series and you played, sorry, before that, sorry, the England series, and then you played in the India series. Then you went back into first-class cricket, scored the runs you needed to score, um, and you're back again. But I'm going to mix this question up a bit here because I've always wondered this. Do you feel that you now need to make up for lost time? Um, I'm not going to sit here and regret on anything that happened in the past, to be honest. Um, I think everything happened for a reason. Yes, as you rightly said, after the two-year break, you know, I came back against the England series. And to be honest, I don't think I had enough cricket under my belt. Uh, I thought the cricket went far ahead of where I was. And um, yes, I was missing the game. So I sort of 
took the opportunity to come back in international cricket. Yes, in the second test match, if you could recall, I probably had a slow fifty for the West Indies in the history of West Indies cricket. But having said that, it's just a matter of me finding my feet once more. Um, I think the opportunity to go back and play first-class cricket and getting my game back the way it's supposed to be was a tremendous effort. Um, it was a very, very good idea and it's something that I really, you know, cherish. So I went back home. I did what I have to do, uh, put in the work, and now I'm here back again. So hopefully this time around, you know, I'm going to make amends for, as you rightly said, last time. So <laughs> when, you, when you first started out, Darren, everybody compared you to Brian Lara. And I don't need to go through the different similarities and your stroke play and this, that and the other. And in your first 12 tests, I think you mirrored everything that Brian had done. So which which version of um, Darren Bravo have we got now? <laughs> is it, what's it, second coming of Brian Lara as well? What's going on? I guess initially the stars line up in that way, um, sort of mirrored every, everything that he was able to achieve when he reaches 12 test match. Um, it's not something that we can plan. But at the end of the day, you know, that's how it goes. Um, as, we, as the world know, he's my favorite cricketer. He's my role model. He's the person that I always look up to. Um, when I'm done, he's the person that I will pick up my phone, you know, and, and try to get that necessary advice to get me back on the right page. Um, it don't always have to be that way. You know, I pick up my phone at any point in time and send him a joke or send him a riddle or whatever it is, you know, to find how he's going and stuff like that. So we have a very good relationship and something I hold very close to my heart. It's something I don't ever take for granted. Um, obviously, he'll want me to get back with the top where I'm supposed to be. So I'm doing whatever it takes, not only to please him, but to please myself as well and sort of fulfill my potential. Mm. Yeah, so in, in those early days, I guess, those test days, um, you were compared to Lawa. If we take it even before then, when you made... Your first class debut, I think it was in January 2007 for Trinidad and Tobago. Kind of who were the early influences for you in developing your game in that side? I know Darren Ganga was the captain at the time, but what kind of players helped you mould your batting game? Um, obviously, I came to the ranks. Um, as you rightly said, Ganga was at the helm. He was the captain of the national team when I made my debut. We had the likes of... Um, who was there again, boy? Um, the guys like Ahmed Jagannath and Dave Mohammed and those senior guys were among the setup. Um, they always give advice. Um, even the manager at the time was Omar Khan. He, he was always there giving advice as well. And as you know, as a youngster, you try to take bits and pieces from everybody mm -hmm. to try to enhance your game as a player. So that was basically it. Um, my coach at the Queen's back over at the point in time was David Fulong. He, he, he played a, a very, very pivotal role as well for me understanding the game and understanding my game as well. So all in all, um, as my parents as well. You know, my dad is a cricket fanatic. Um, he is, he go way back. So when he gave me stories that he likes, they were the greats, the Sogapi Sobas and the privileges and those guys. You know, when we have a conversation about cricket, you can hear the passion in his voice. So all that sort of played a very important role. And um, as you rightly said, Brian, as a kid growing up, um, Everything was Brian Lara for me. When, when he got out, I no longer watch cricket. When he make the newspaper, I will cut out the clippings and stick it up in my room and stuff like that. I will At times, I will forge all the signatures and try to copy it and stuff like that. So nothing wrong. Nothing is wrong with that. I'm here today living my dream and because of all those sort of things, I'm here today. 
Well, if um if it helps, uh, Darren, when when and if you get out in this test series, I might not watch any more of the test series as well. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> but um, no, being, being serious though, Darren, you talk about think, um, probably my gonna be early morning. No, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but being serious, you mentioned about um how you returned to first class cricket um last year for super 54 day as well um before i think you, then you were selected obviously to go to sri lanka but um one thing that i kind of want to touch on though is that um you were given the captaincy for trinidad um this year how did that or this season i should say how did that come about and was that something you actively wanted or was it the uh the, the cricket board, Trinidad Cricket Board, said you now is your time? Well, to be honest, um, what happened is that when I went back to play at the first class level, I thought of, I wasn't the captain in the Super 50, but I take that sort of leadership role, yeah. um, especially with the back concern. And I try to you know, help the youngsters as much as possible. And obviously, taking that leadership role, everyone's going to look up to you. So I think... Um, I needed to lead from the front. I didn't went back there and think that, yes, I'm Dan Bravo, I'm, I'm way higher than this level. I take the cricket for granted. And I went back there as any normal player. I did what I have to do. And obviously I set the tone for the rest of the, the batters in the lineup. Um, then we had a North-South Classic. That's where the best cricketers in the country, you know, the player trial game, the North versus South. And our coach at the point in time, Ishwa asked if I wanted to be the captain. And I was like, okay, no problem. And yeah, and then, you know, I guess the selectors see how I went about things and they were happy with the way I sort of captained my team. And we went on to win that, that particular game. And then the national selectors came to me and asked me, well, at the point in time, the, the chairman, Tony Gray, he asked if I wanted to captain the national team. I said, well, if, I want, if, I, if you guys want me to captain, yeah, and then I need to have say i'm not telling you guys who to pick but i need to voice my opinion mm. and stuff like that and um they agree they decided to give me it um i guess the leadership sort of you know helped me along the way obviously taking that responsibility and leading from the front sort of help and i rightly said previously you being the leader you have to set the right tone so it helped me and it sort of allowed me to focus a lot more on my game and stuff like that and i thought it helped and to be honest it helped in my game yeah, and um, Santelki, before I hand back to you, just one one quick thing, Darren, before I forget this. Something that I saw you you do in um, this year's four-day competition, which I don't think I've ever seen you do before. You were bowling. Well <laughs> <laughs> um, you even took some wickets. Um, and I was I was watching the highlights. I was like, who's that bowling? That, that can't be Darren. But, but um, talk, what? So what? We, you're an all-rounder now. What, what's, what's going on? No, 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 I'm not that wrong there. Um, by no stretch of the imagination. Um, what actually transpired? Well, like from time to time, I tend to bowl at the batters in the nets, or more so the bowlers in the nets. Mm. Uh, the bowlers get a time to have a hit in the nets. So I just, you know, fool around at times. But in that particular game there, um, in Guyana, we actually bowl like a 10 over spell. Odin, Thomas, Odin Smith, sorry, he got like a side strain, something like that. So we were bowler short. And I'm so, you know, going to Guyana, they are very, very capable where, batting, where spin button is concerned. So, I didn't, as a captain, I didn't really want them to get spin on both ends. So, I just wanted to try and keep things tight and bowl like a sort of negative line outside the off stump or 
allow them to play on one side. So I guess at the point in time, I was probably the best person to do that because we only had like Terrence Hines again who were bowling like medium pace. So yeah, it worked out. But at the end of the day, I think I fell asleep in the dressing room. So fast bowling is not for me. I just have to focus my on my batting. <laughs> Sad talk, Giga. Well, yeah, it was good, we had, fun. Um, good fun. It was good fun. <laughs> we had um, we had Josh Marvel and hemorrhage. Yeah, we we had um, Josh De Silva on this podcast in the summer. A talented wicketkeeper, batsman coming up from Trinidad and Tobago. Kind of what other young players have caught your eye in the side um, this season in the first class season? Um, Josh De Silva for one, mm-hmm. um, definitely. Um, he's here. With, he is here with us on West Indies duties. I think young Keegan Simmons as well. I think he have the right attitude and the right temperament to play test cricket. Um, I think Anderson, where the fast bowling is concerned, Anderson Philip, he was special this year as well. Even young Terence Hines have played his first season, full season for Trent Tobago in first class cricket. He, he had a relatively good season as well. Um, even young Brian Charles, um, he came back from a surgery. You know, he... He was exceptional. I must give credit to Akil Hussain. He was tremendous. He was a pick of the bowlers and probably one of the best bowlers in the entire tournament. So from a Trinidad and Tobago point of view, um, those were the guys that were exceptional. Even Jason Mohammed, who'd been there and there around for quite some time now, he had an exceptional season as well. So I didn't really want to paint, paint, pinpoint each and every single individual, but collectively, you know, the guys played a tremendous brand of cricket. Um, obviously, we came second in the tournament before mm-hmm. it was called up pandemic but having said that um, I think the guys are heading in the right direction and hopefully in the next season you know we can have even a better better performances and, and I'd say win the tournament but showcase our talent and be more consistent than we were um, this year um, around the region uh, we all know who did well um, but obviously there's room for improvement so on a whole from a Western this point of view uh, we just need to be more consistent and put in a better performances on the board. So those all young players obviously hoping to make their test debuts in the future. Your own test debut was quite memorable because it was in Sri Lanka. Chris Gale obviously made his triple century. You put on a 196 stand with him. What was it like at the crease, your your first ever experience of international test cricket and Chris Gale's on, on the other side batting, world-class performance. What did he say to you? Did he kind of keep you calm? What what was the whole experience like? Um, to be honest, um, it's sort of what a bit... Easy for me per se. Reason being, I was on the test team for the series before against South Africa and the Caribbean. So I was among the guys, mm-hmm. you know, mingling and you know, asking questions each and every single time in the in the dressing room. My brother was there as well. So he made life much easier for me as well. So obviously, before we flew to Sri Lanka, the coach at a point in time was Otis Gibson and he said, Don't worry, this series is gonna play and you're gonna be batting at number three. So prepare yourself. Don't tell anybody, but you will be batting at number three. So I sort of just like, you know, focus and went down there. But I can remember the morning of the test match, you know, Chris Gale told me, come, let's take a walk. Let's walk a lap. And while we were walking the lap, I can remember, um, I think the test match played on goal in Sri Lanka. Yeah. And while we were walking the lap, he asked me if I'm okay. I said, yes, I'm all right. He said, you're sure? I said, yes, I'm sure. He said, okay, if when you come to bat, and I'm in the wicket. Don't worry about scoring any runs. You just take your time. You do what you have to do. Play your natural game. And from the other end, I'm going to do. I'm going to take care of the scoring. So enjoy yourself. Have fun. It's a big day. 
I'm guaranteeing you that they're going to score a lot of runs in this series because no one knows you. No one knows what to expect, but you're talented, you have the potential, and you deserve to be here. So I said, okay, thank you very much. And he was like, okay, we don't need to walk the entire lap. You seem like you're in a good place. Let's go back in the dressing room. <laughs> and as you all know, the rest of the I believe I scored like 53 in my debut, and Chris went on to score that triple century. Yeah, so it was good fun. <laughs> I actually put the, the other players the same exact story uh, a few nights ago when we were having a team dinner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, and that's a great story in so much as I think sometimes, and I'm really glad you said that because I think sometimes people will, or people who don't understand Chris Gale will say is this and is that and not understand that he actually has leadership capabilities and will nurture people as well. So that's a brilliant story that you've recounted for us. Touching um, on that, though, as well, though, going off what Santoki said, when you were starting out in Test cricket, Darren, you were you were getting praise from a lot of players. Steve War or ex-player Steve War spoke of you highly. But I always remember that in your first three to four years, you were often mentioned in the kind of uh, top five batsmen, the next big things. It was like you, Joe Root, Coley, Williamson. And the only reason, uh, uh, Steve Smith eventually, but the only reason I, I asked this question is because did you feel under pressure when you were, were when you were being spoken of so highly? Um, not really. Um, obviously, getting off the great start in Test cricket, everyone's going to sing your praises. Um, there's, no, there's no second way about that, no second guessing about that. Um, I think things sort of, you know, went away a bit. Um, lose, loss of form, loss of confidence, and stuff like that. And I'm not sure exactly how to pinpoint exactly what transpired per se, but that's all part and parcel of the game. Um, as I said, I don't regret anything that happened in the past. Everything happened for a reason. Um, I still believe in myself. I still believe that I'm one of the best batters in the entire world. And I'm sure as long as I click again, you know, they're going to be singing praises again. So I'm not worried about that. Listen, I'm not doubting you. I'm not doubting you. Santoki. Yeah, yeah. So we we focused on Red Bull cricket, but as as listeners will know, you've also got an excellent record in um the shorter formats, 50 overs and um T20 cricket. Um, as regular listeners will know as well. Um, obviously I'm Guyanese, Michelle's Jamaican, so we've tried to forget the most recent CPL, put it to the back of our minds. But one thing we can't forget <laughs> is your performances in uh, for Trimbago, especially in the final, that 58 not out where you anchored the innings with um, Lendl Simmons. Um, firstly, what's it like being captained by Pollard, Kyron Pollard, um, in the T20 formats? Because he's obviously regarded as possibly one of the finest captains in the format. And you've obviously, I think he made his debut for Trinidad around the same time in 2007. So what's your relationship like with Pollard and what's it like being captained by him in T20? Um, to be honest, I don't ever see Kyron Pollard as my captain. I see him as a very, very close friend. I see him as a brother. Um, to be quite frank, we came to the ranks together at the under 13 level. So I've been seeing this big, tall guy from ever since. Um, <laughs> so, yes, he's, he's somebody that is very special to us. Um, not only myself, but the entire Trinbago Knight Riders family, the entire West Indies family. We all look up to him. Um, he's, as you all know, he's the most T20 champion in the entire world. Um, he has done it all and all around the world, not only in, as we say, India, all around the world, you know, he has established himself. So 
Yes, he's definitely somebody that we all look up to. Um, he allows us to go there and play our natural game. Um, if we are if we are sucks are falling down, he makes sure and put it back right up. So yes, he's definitely the reason why Trinidad United. Not the, the reason why we we won the tournament, but he sort of you know took over the mantle from DJ Bravo and just continued the reign. Um, obviously DJ was a captain before, as I always call him, he's a Michael Jordan of the Trinidad United Riders. Mm-hmm. DJ Bravo. So he just passed on the battle to Kyron Porter. You now he's doing a fantastic job. You know, he, he sort of come with his own style and stuff, but at the end of the day, um, yeah, happy to be part of that family and happy to be surrounded by those fantastic players. Mm. You were you were the third highest run scorer in CPL this season. Um, and we've obviously had a lot of questions asking why why Darren Bravo isn't in the T20 international squad at the moment. Have you spoken to Pollard or Coach Simmons about kind of what what is the pathway to get back into the side ahead of the World Cup next year? I don't ever ask a selector or anybody why it is I wasn't selected. If they pick a team and I'm not there, I probably sit and ask myself why. And I guess they probably have other reasons, but I don't ever ask the chairman mm-hmm. or the or the captain or anything like that why I wasn't selected. I just go back to the drawing board, try my best to perform the best of my ability, and when the opportunity comes again, I take it. Yeah, so that's basically mm-hmm. it. I don't ever. That's just my way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've I've just naturally assumed, Darren, that you are in the selectors' thoughts. I just assumed they wanted you to focus on Red Bull. For this particular tour, um, the the frailties in the top six West Indies have been well known. The bowling we know is is on fire, but um, I kind of like how Jason wasn't selected in the in the T twenties as well. And I'm not expecting you to answer this question. I'm just talking myself, <laughs> but I just figured that they wanted you to focus on revitalizing your Red Bull career now. And is is that isn't is that your primary focus now as well? Anyway. Um, probably when I look at it, um, with the, with the test match starting like two days after the final T20 game, I probably that was the reason why when I look at the schedule and stuff like that. But to be honest, um, since I didn't get selected in the T20 team, I had no sort of reaction towards it. I just totally start focusing on the Red Bull, on the Red Bull format. So I came down here, I did what I have to do. We had a, you know, very, very good camp. Um, we had a very, very good two very good practice matches and I sort of tried to go there and spend as much time as possible out in the middle and reacquaint myself with the conditions over here in New Zealand. And so far, so good. But it all comes for nothing at this point in time. As you rightly said, the test match is a few hours away mm. and I'm looking forward to that. So that basically it. Yeah, we all know test matches my favourite format so there's no second guessing about that. So yeah, I'm happy to be here. Well, with with the test match uh, a few hours away, we had um, we put out to our social media followers that we were going to be interviewing you tonight and we had quite a lot get in touch with us. So we just run for a few questions that some of them had. Um, Gethin Roberts said, what what are Darren's goals going forward in test cricket? Um, he then goes on to say, does he want to become one of the best batsmen in the world? The answer to the second part is yes, but what is your what are your goals um, in, in test cricket? Um, to be honest, uh, my first and foremost goal was to play test cricket for the West Indies. I kept growing up that all we ever knew. Um, at the point in time, T20 wasn't really the way it is at this point in time. So test cricket was always my my goal was always to play uh, test match cricket for the West Indies. And then, then when I get my opportunity and I started off pretty well, 
I tell myself that if I play 100 test matches for the West Indies, that's going to be a tremendous achievement. That's still one of my personal goals that I really want to achieve. And I'm sure with good health and strength and consistent performances, I'm going to achieve my personal goal. So I think if I do that, I'll be more than happy. Excellent. And I'll try my best West Indies cricket to as close as possible to because I think it's going to be very difficult to replicate what those legends have done in the past. But to get as close as possible will be a tremendous achievement. Going off the back of that and uh, following up that question, Sumit Dahal said, um, Hi, Darren, big fan. Then he says, How optimistic is Darren about West Indies becoming consistently competitive in Test cricket again? And what does he think needs to happen, um, both inside the team and domestically, to achieve this? Um, from 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 an international standpoint, um, definitely we need to be more consistent as a team. Um, I think our bowling has been tremendous in the last two to three years. Fantastic bowling. I think where mostly where our downfall are is where the batting is concerned. So I think if the batting can be relatively more consistent, I think that's going to pay dividends for us. Um, we're going to be a better a better team. And I'm directly, I think we need to raise the standard at the first class level. Um, I think that too much for far too long guys tend to not really study wood and fire and get onto the West Indies international team. You know, even myself, you know, sometimes like for example, I wasn't in the England series, but here I'm back in the West Indies team because of the fact that guys went there and they didn't really score mm. enough runs to make it difficult for me to get back into the team, which is wrong. Um so we as players we need to set the bar a little higher. Um, obviously, yes, we always talk about conditions and facilities need to improve back home. That definitely need to be sorted out as well. But as players, we need to take responsibility for our own game, personal game and personal performances in order to make it more difficult, make it more challenging for the guys to get onto the international setup. So if that is done, therefore we can see improvement. It don't make sense, guys, going 20 and 25 and 30 or averaging 25 and 30 and Working out and back in three and four and five for the West Indies team. That's ne- definitely not going to work. So, including myself, I'm not just talking about other players or the players in the West Indies, including myself. We need to set the bar higher and make it more difficult. And know fully well that when you get into the West Indies team, you deserve your pick. And yes, you earn the right to be here. Santoki, just before I hand back to you, so Darren, there's something you just said there, and I, I want to just pick up on that because. You, in the time that you were out from the game, when you when you were on your break from West Indies cricket, you were averaging forty. I think, obviously, at the moment, I think the average is the average is thirty eight at the moment. But you you are were the last batsman in the West Indies side to average what I call an international high quality standard. Before you, you're looking at Sarwan, Shiv, and Chris. But what I'm intrigued about is what, given some of the issues around facilities and funding that we, that we have in the Caribbean, why were you able to break the mould then? What is it that makes a batsman break the mould in the Caribbean that allows them to then touch test level and succeed? And if I have to stick up in at any, stick up in on any particular reason, uh, probably when I get into the team, there were a lot more experienced guys in the setup. Mm. Um, we had the likes of Chris Gale, Shivna and Chandra Paul, Brendan Nash. My brother was there. 
Jerome Taylor, just a collective experience, guys. And they all sort of helped me along the way. Obviously, you had international cricket for me, I believe, as a player. Whenever you come in the international setup, it's like OJT on the job training because you don't ever get play this sort of level at first class level. This is a real deal here. And it sort of helped me that allowed me to stay calm at heart. I understand my I ask questions all the time. You know, I look at videos, I I try to educate myself about the game and stuff like that. So all all that sort of help and now I think we have a tendency to like to be honest, if I have to be frank, um we get rid of the like the senior players too quickly. There's a there's a saying that time usually when to be two you're over the break, you're over the head, time to go. And I think that is not always the right way because I think you need that that sort of cohesiveness where the, the youngsters come in and join nicely with the senior players and help them to, to grow and stuff like that. So I think that is one aspect that we need to get right um, because, you know, you have a room with a lot of youngsters and they are not really performing. When you look left, you see a guy who's not also performing. and you look right, you see a guy who's not also performing. How can you trust this guy's advice if, if you are in a, in a bad place where your game is concerned? But when Chutan and Faki, if you look on your right and you see the likes of Sawa and you see the likes of Chandapur and stuff like that, you know fully well that those guys are walk the walk and talk the talk already. So, so they'll be willing to be open and you know, give you advice even though they are not performing at the point in time because, you know, as I said, they walk the walk already and talk the talk. So, so I think we need to, I think that was one of probably the reason and yeah, you just need to love batting and Try to put a high price on your wicket and, you know, don't get carried away like when you score the 35 and the 40s and stuff like that. I think that, you know, you're the best in the world. There's a lot more work to be done, if I'm to be frank. Mm. And, yeah, you just need to ask questions and open up and, you know, and just try to try your best understanding the game and stuff like that. It's a long, it's a long, long road. It's not easy. But I think if, as I said previously, if you allow players to come into the setup who will be the average in 40 or 45 in first class cricket, Rest assured that you don't expect them to score um, to be averaging 45 and 15 test cricket initially. It'll have to take them some time before they actually understand their game at this level. I can remember if I have to, I can remember Shehu asking me because when he came into the setup with test cricket test concert, you were opening, you batted three, back to open, you up and down the ladder a bit. And obviously, all the shapes at night, you always get very, very good starts, but for some reason, you're not able to carry on. And he came to me at some point in time and he asked me, Darren, I need to score test 100. I said, sure, you can practice now until that kingdom come. You can hit all the balls in the world. You can do whatever you want. Rest assured that you're not going to score a test century until you play about 10, 12 test matches. If you look back at his record, that's, I think, around that time he scored his back to 100 in heaven. Mm-hmm. Because then, then you probably understand his game a lot more and understand what it takes to play at the international level. So it's going to take some time, but we need to set the right tone and set the right standards and raise the standards at first class level before. So when guys work with the international team, as I said previously, they look fully well that they deserve to be here and they're good enough to perform at this level. I can't ask for anything more comprehensive than that. I was just about to say, Michelle, that just that just summed everything up. I mean, experience is priceless and it's something, obviously, at West Indies cricket at the moment, for various reasons, just have lacked that experience. Um, you've obviously got a core group of batsmen who've been playing for the past four or five years together, but they're all still very young when you think about it. And they've not really had a lot of role models in the side. As Darren said, he would have had the Chandapurs and the Gales to kind of guide him. So that's the foundation. That's a problem with the foundations at the moment with West Indies cricket. But onto a lighter topic, topic we'll go, we'll finish off, Marshall, with some quick fire questions for Darren. So mm. Darren, first one, 
Um, <laughs> toughest bowler you faced in international cricket? For some reason, I don't like batting Wahabrias. And okay. from a spin point of view, I thought Saeed Ajmal was a bit difficult. Oh, okay, so both Pakistanis. And um, what's your favourite innings that you scored? Um, I think our batting coach asked me that a while back. Uh, I think my best innings was the 100 I scored against New Zealand at the Phoenix Park Open. Out, out of interest, Darren, because most people listening would have said, "Surely you're going." Everyone would have expected you to say the double hundred. So why that hundred over all your other centuries as well? Um, when we played our first Test match against New Zealand in that particular series in Jamaica, um, I didn't really, I didn't perform well, mm. and for some reason, I think I had a conversation with the chairman and selectors at the point in time, Courtney Walsh, and he was like. The way he spoke to me is like, yes, we're giving you another chance, but you want a thin, you know, you're hanging a thin piece of thread. And it was the first time I felt that my position on the West Indies team were being threatened. Mm. Were test cricket. And the first time I felt that way because obviously my average and my performances around the time was relatively very good. And the first time I felt that if I don't perform here now, you know, I'm going to get dropped off the test team. It never happened before, so it sort of put me in a a sort of um, foreign or what you would have looking for a position I never felt before. Mm. Uh, so I just told myself that you know you're back again in the world when you're down, the only way from down is up. And for some reason, we got off to a very very good start in that particular test match. And I told myself from the moment I walk out the bat, I'm just gonna be positive. I don't care who's bowling. I don't care what the score is. They're going to be positive. And I think Saudi, the leg spinner from New Zealand, he was bowling at the point in time. And I think I hit him like a flick, two more wicket for four, and a straight, straight, straight drive down the ground for four. And I think after, that, that was the over before lunch, I believe. Before lunch or before tea, I can't remember. But having said that, then I went for tea and nine at out or something like that. Lunch, nine at out. And I told myself, when I walk in the back, I'm coach with this Gibson, tap me on my back and say, that's the intent. And um, yeah, I just went out and everything clicked, everything everything flowed. And uh, yeah, that was one of my best testings. Well, actually, it's my best testings. So it was some of the innings that obviously in front of my home crowd and my family, my brother, everybody was there, chain on as well. So it was very, very special. Well, we hope you're about to hit another best test innings. Uh, <laughs> at, some point, at some point in the next week and a half or so. Um, last question from uh, from the from the guest was just who does uh, who does Darren enjoy batting with the most? Um, it says in the current Test team, but actually, I'm going to throw that out in just in your career. Who did you have? Who did you enjoy having the best partnerships with? From a white ball perspective, I enjoy batting with Karen Paul a lot. Um, I enjoy batting with him a lot. And from a test cricket point of view, um, back then I enjoyed batting with Kirk Edwards. Barbados, oh. hmm. he, he he's a very very good communicator. And because when I'm batting, I like to communicate as much as possible. It helps you. Uh, so he was he was a very very good person to bat with. And presently, I'm Craig Braffitt. I like batting with him as well. Um, take a lot of pressure of, of us 
all of us as matters and he's doing a tremendous job. Um, wish him a happy belated birthday. Um, yeah, so I've enjoyed battling with everybody, but just to name a few of those other guys that I enjoy battling with. Excellent. Santoki, are we, are, we, are we on the last one? Yeah, the big question, Mash, the big question. So, Darren, you've been an excellent guest, but every guest who comes on here, no matter their status in cricket, must answer <laughs> the final question. Before you answer, I tell you now that anything in Trinidad is not allowed. Anything in, <laughs> anything in okay. Trinidad is not allowed as an answer. What is your favourite ground in the Caribbean? Outside of Queen's Park Oval, Trinidad. Well, you're wicked. Grenada. Interesting. Why Grenada? I think... Uh, I think, for me, Grenada have the best battle wicket in the Caribbean. Mm. Unfortunately, we don't play much international games there, but I bet you it's the best... It's one of the best... As batting pitches in the Caribbean. And no, no love for poverty, yeah? There's probably no light, so they don't, I don't know. But if you look back, like when Chris Gale scored a big 100 and we, we lose the game, the big one in the national, we lose the game by a couple mm-hmm. of runs and stuff like that. Whenever we do play there, there's a high scoring encounter. And the fans, I'm not sure if it's because they don't get much international cricket, no matter the format, they come there and they fill the stadium and stuff like that. And Dominica. Well, very, very, these are two. These are two answers I did not expect. Yeah, I didn't. I, I, I thought you were going to say Sabina Park. First, <laughs> <laughs> Grenada and Dominica. <laughs> Since you said that, I can't mention Trinidad and Tobago. <laughs> we'll, we'll have we'll have to accept that um, as your final answer. That's fine. That's good. Well, Darren, I said it was a final question, and it is. Um, and like I say, you've been an amazing guest. You've been as honest as we could have expected you to be. Um, as we said at the top of the show, what we're 24 hours out from you, not from you walking out in the middle, but certainly West Indies walking onto the field in some capacity. So we wish you luck um, on the tour. We welcome you back to the West Indies team. We're glad to see you back in the maroon. And um, on behalf of myself and Santolki, just thank you very much for coming on the podcast. You've been an amazing guest. Thank you very much, Michael. And thank you very much, Santuki. We appreciate it. I'm going to chat soon. No problem. Ladies and gents, that's Darren Bravo. And that's been episode 31 of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. See you again for episode 46.
Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.